Talkers. Welcome to Speak and Destroy, episode 32. Speak and Destroy is a podcast about all things Metallica. I'm your host, Ryan J. Downey. This episode was recorded live at the Musicians Institute in Hollywood, California. Part of the MI Conversation series presented by Loudwire and Ultimate Classic Rock, an in-depth conversation with two of the basis of the Big Four of Thrash, Frank Bellow of Anthrax, and our returning champion, David Ellefson of Megadeth, who you will remember as our guest from episode 16. Frankie and David have a project together called Altitudes and Attitude. We talk quite a bit about that, quite a bit about Anthrax, quite a bit about Megadeth, and of course, there's some conversation about Metallica. So here it is, live from the Musicians Institute. Frank Bellow and David Ellefson. This is Speak and Destroy. So I am, uh, it's no secret that I am a, a huge fan of metal, and we have not one but two of the bass players of the legendary Big Four of Thrash Metal, so I want to get David Ellison and Frank Bello out here right now. I just realized as the two of you sat down, double bass. Ooh. Double bass. Did you yeah. work on that all night? Hey, I got dad jokes. If you've been to these before, we have a couple of them here. You know. but. Uh, so, gentlemen, uh, how's this thing been going? You guys are in the midst of a, a whirlwind press tour right now. Lots of talking. Yeah, the album just came singing. out on uh, Friday. And, um, well, we've been talking about doing this for, what, maybe two months mm -hmm. we set it up? And, you know, the thing is, it's weird when you're setting up records because usually there's kind of this, what, three-month lead time. You lead up to it. And ours was interrupted directly by Christmas and New Year's. So everybody's, we're kind of wanting to ramp up and everybody's shutting down. So it was kind of funny getting out of the gate after the first of the year. I think we actually have like the first rock record of the year uh, to come out, which is kind of cool. Um, it's so weird to hear David Ellison saying, I ha we have the first rock record. Rock record, yeah, right. right? Usually they're like, listen to that, that yeah, line. Right. Is it, and I, it's refreshing. I it think, is. It's kind of cool. It's good. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we were in New York last week. I mean, literally, I think two weeks ago. Um, our little team here uh, said, you know, we should do something in New York around like the release of the album. It's like, ah, good idea. So we quickly booked a gig at St. Vitus and then that turned to a couple of other things. So last week we actually, Frank and I actually played three shows last week. Yeah. One, thing was, one thing just kept multiplying and that, now we're all exhausted, yeah. you know. <laughs> so already on a U.S. tour, New York, what's it, what, what, Manhattan, yeah. Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and Hollywood. So we've got four dates of the, of the U.S. tour here. In a week, in a weekend, actually. Yeah. Uh, so let's go all the way back. Take me back to how and when and where the f two of you met for the first time. Because, of course, as a fan, I think about, you know, Clash of the Titans and all the awesome things. That, but you know, the, I, I, I the remember uh, the first time I think Frank and I met, um, first time I saw Anthrax play was actually out at the country club. I think Dave and I went to, right. and this would have been probably, what, 80, 83, 84? 84 maybe yeah 
and uh, saw them play. Dan Loker, I guess, would have been in the band. Uh, I didn't really know anything about them other than Dave had talked about them when he was out in uh, uh, New York with Metallica. He had mentioned this fast little band called Anthrax, so that's kind of how I knew about them. But then um, I remember uh, right before, I think, we recorded the Peace Cells album, which for combat, actually, not even for capital, uh, we were on the East Coast staying at a hotel called the Biltmore up in Providence, Rhode Island. The Biltmore, Biltmore, right? And it was nice. I mean, for a bunch of like lowly thrash guys to afford a nice hotel was kind of nice, right? I think it was because the venue paid for it or something. But they did. It was. A, I think it was. A we played there. We were we were very poor, and we were in a motor home. And I walk outside. It's cold as hell out because I think it was literally January, February. And up pulls a tour bus, and the freaking Anthrax guys get out, like out of a tour bus, right? Dressed in all peat coats, looking all nice and healthy and rich, right? <laughs> You guys suck, man. How come we're so poor? Right? Rich, I worked at my uncle's deli <laughs> while that record was out. <laughs> so but you I looked see. good working at the deli. You're damn right. Looked awesome, man. Right. <laughs> so that was probably my first. And yeah. I, I just remember one thing I remember about Frank was just always he was the happy guy. Like, I remember Clash of the Titans. In fact, you could probably see some of that Ricky Rackman uh, headbangers ball footage yeah. from Madison Square Garden when he came out on. Clash of the Titans in 1991, if anybody was alive during that period. I realize I tell these stories, and like this was years ago, yeah. like millennials weren't even born yet, you know, I'm telling. I, I am that guy now, I'm that, I remember back in 91, you know. <laughs> Pre-Nirvana, before Nirvana, there was life before Nirvana. Um, but uh, I remember Frank was always the happy-go-lucky guy, and then when we started to bring songs in for this, I realized what a twisted, dark dude he is, and... Uh, <laughs> He really needs therapy, which is why we formed the band. Yeah, bands are good for that. There's a lot of issues going on. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, before we get more into that, I want to, you, you know, since we both mentioned Clash of the Titans, that was kind of the pre, before the Big Four finally happened a few years ago. That was almost sort of the warm up in the early 90s. Uh, and I always remember, uh, I want to say it was Rip Magazine, there was a cover story uh, that, you know, had one guy from each of the three bands, Slayer, Anthrax, and Megadeth. And some, you know, the, the reporter asked them, so for all you guys, you know, you're kind of on equal footing and you're all sort of thought about and, you know, and said in the same sentence, same breath, it's a rotating bill, you're, you know, switching who's headlining every night. Who is this tour the best for? And I remember Dave Mustaine said, Alice in Chains. And yeah. Alice in Chains was the opening act. On I think the after Clash of the Titans, of the Titans they went on to open for Van Halen. I mean, and then the rest is history, yeah. you know. I remember the first time Van Halen, uh, Alice in Chains, we were finishing up a little run of European dates right before, uh, this is probably February, probably March of 91. And we didn't have an, uh, the opening band set yet for Clash of the Titans. And we walked into the venue and it was Megadeth. We always had the Almighty uh, opening for us, which uh, Ricky Warwick is also the singer now in Black Star Writers. And um, this band on the, you know, written on the, on the day sheet was Alice in Chains. They're like, what a funny name that is. Like, what the hell are these guys doing? Who is this? And um, then think of it, went to catering, and, 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 and then all of a sudden they started playing. I remember, I think it was the Volks House in uh, Zurich, uh, Switzerland. And I remember downstairs, and all of a sudden it was like, wow, they sound pretty good. And we went upstairs, we watched them, and were just blown away. And I mean, quickly calling home to management, like, we found the band for, the, for Clash of the Titans. I remember Scott Ian loved them, and it was a pretty quick, it was an easy turn and to get them on the bill. But yeah, they had to suffer uh, getting pelted with a yeah. lot of trash. They earned their stripes on that yeah. tour. I mean, God bless his soul. I mean, Lane, 
gave it right back. Remember every night, Lane gave it right back to whoever, th they were throwing stuff. Yeah, at, they, were the, they were the odd man horrible. out on that tour. So, yeah, yeah. They, they really earned their stripes. They were that good. And I love the confidence that those guys had. They, they went out there and just said, oh yeah, watch this. And they brought it every night. So they deserve where they are. They're we played awesome. our first wedding on that tour, by the way. Yeah, I remember right in the changeover. It was always Anthrax, Megadeth, and then Slayer was after us. So how then it would always rotate over. So then the next night Slayer would open, and then it would be Anthrax in the middle of Megadeth. And uh, in uh, in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, I remember they uh, coming back and they said, "Hey, we have to have this little five-minute break because these two headbangers are going to get married." You know, they were going to get married out front, so they did the ceremony. So, and then we played after. So, I mean, technically, we were the wedding band, which yeah. was pretty the thrashing. The reception. Holy wars for your wedding, you know. Yeah. Let me kiss the bride. Amazing. So, you know, both of you being bass players, obviously, uh, is there a special kind of kinship that happens, you know, that's different, a wow. little bit different than the... Like when there's the camaraderie, particularly I'm thinking about the big four, but in general in the... There's a respect. There's always been a respect. Um, look, you know, we, we've been around a while. Uh, we both know each other pretty well. So, uh, I, I mean, the great thing about David, I trust him. You know, I can trust him with just about anything we do uh, music-wise and just bouncing ideas off of him. It'll always be open. That's why I think, that's why I think our thing works with, with this A&A stuff. It, um, anything goes. And that's what I like... What, it's very free, and there's nothing that, that's wrong. You just try it, and if it works, we'll try everything and work it out. Mm -hmm. And if, we'll know at the end of the day, if it doesn't work, we won't use it, you know? So, uh, every, uh, but yeah, the, the, there's that connection there that it's, I call it trust. Now, uh, both of you, of course, obviously, we know each of you from your main bands primarily, uh, but you've both been involved in a lot of different things. Um, you were in Helmet for a little bit, as yeah. I recall. Um, and of course, Metal Allegiance, who we had here uh, not that long ago, right, couple years um, and yeah. you know the stuff you've done with yeah. Max Cavalera, and of course, you know the list goes right. on. Uh, what inspired this specifically? Given that there, you you have both had so many other things going, um, it's not like you needed to put something <laughs> extra on the yeah. plate, you know. You know, um, I think our our the whole thing started here, and certainly our just our friendship um, started when we were uh, doing some bass clinics around the Big Four. Mm. Um, and that had morphed into a thing called Metal Masters, which was kind of clinics and then sort of an all-star jam, and then that's what Bench basically you know, turned into to Metal Allegiance. Um, and we were doing um, the big four shows. Yeah. Um, we did a couple clinics here, but then uh, we did a, quite a few of them across Europe, so this would have been 2010 and 11. And the night before um, we played at Nebworth in uh, London, um, Frank and I were doing a, a clinic, and it just hit me. I said, we should write some songs, like to have some backing tracks. Uh, there was a couple of jazz bass players who are friends of ours, uh, Steve Bailey and Victor Wooten. And I remember in the early 90s, they did this thing called Extreme Bass. And it, again, it, they were so cool because they were the really the renowned um, jazz bass players. And, and it's so funny because when I was growing up and kind of coming up the ranks and as our bands were, were coming up, the jazz guys got all the clinics. You know, it was all the jazz drummers, the jazz bass players. They got all the clinics, um, and even the guitar players. And they were always the ones sponsoring Zildjian and different guitar manufacturers. And it's so weird how that turned in the, probably the 2000s, our genre. And the thrashers and, yeah. the, and the shredder dudes became the ones getting the endorsements, kind of really having the sell-through, I think, from a manufacturing from there, looking at that side of it, the kind of going, okay, who's going to sell this product if we're going to have them playing it, putting them in a, you know, a magazine? 
Um, you know, when you hear kids, like you walk into a guitar shop, Sam Ash or Guitar Center or something, like what songs are they playing? You know, Enter Sandman has now replaced Stairway to Heaven. Yeah. Uh, you know, and or you hear them, you know, shredding some Anthrax or Megadeth song. And, and it's, so it's our genres, that, that thing now. So the clinic thing, I think, really became, and especially for two bass players to do it, it was very unusual, um, you know, to, to do that. And as we went across Europe, and, it, you know, it's one thing for us to dialogue like this because we all, we all speak the native language. But when you're in, like, you know, the Czech Republic, and Croatia doing base clinics and, you know, having to have a guy like you over there signing and translating, you know. And it sort of, works. It actually works. It, it's it's weird because the music really kind of The music crosses over. over. It works all the time. I like doing actually. Yeah. And there's a translator because I could use the translator and, and really mess him up and say a lot of crazy things <laughs> and, and really say something really bad. And you, you didn't tell him, you know. I mean, <laughs> Swear, swearing is just swearing. I mean, it's just it's one language. It seems like it's English or something. Yeah, but. one of my one of my favorite YouTube rabbit holes is there's a there's footage of it's like in the height of the Use Your Illusion era. I think it's in Brazil, and Axel's having a meltdown, and he's got a translator out on stage, and the whole show is stopped, and he's sitting down on the drum riser, and he's lecturing the crowd about something, and she's having to every you know Translate he's like ranting and ranting. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. That's yeah, so and, who, cool. and who knows how she was translating it. Cause that's great. It I think, you know, from those, you know, to kind of expand on your, your question, though, but that the, the, the clinic thing is where this, the idea started. And then when Frank was coming around on the Among the Living uh, anniversary tour, and we kind of made that day in Phoenix, I was home, and made that the day, like, let's, let's get together. Um, Frank had sent over a couple of ideas. I sent some riffs and things that I had, and... We just sat down, ironically, not with bass guitars. We sat in my living room with acoustic guitars <laughs> singing. And I mean, that really was the spirit of it, was just let's really break this down to its most basic element, which was chords and, and, and melodies. And, uh, and, and of course, the storyline that goes with it. And I, I think really that took our, just our kinship, you know, to, to a whole other level and our friendship and just kind of a musical language that we, he and I speak together. Um, he recommended we bring in uh, Jay Rustin, who he'd worked with with Anthrax, also a bass player. Uh, sadly, a left-handed bass player, so we can't use any of the instruments in his studio. <laughs> but he's awesome, and Jay really got it. You know, I think he was, you know, he's, uh, you know, uh, kind of the fifth Beatle and really just gets the whole thing that we're trying to do. He gets that, they we're not going for a thrash metal record here. We're just throwing some ideas out and let these things develop, and he was really good at recording them. And... You know, you hear the tones we're getting are, are not, you know, I am the man in Holy Wars. I mean, this is a very different kind of uh, whole sound and everything. And um, Jay also inspires you. He kind of he lets it go to the next part. He, um, he feeds you. He, you know, he kind of dangles it for you and you go for it. And I, I, love the w I love the way he works. I mean, I work with him all the I'm working now with him with Anthrax. But um, he just, he's one of those guys who has a great ear and intuition. He has great intuition. He's, he, um, he knows almost knows what you're thinking, which is awesome. I love that about him. Now, one of the things that has already come up in conversation today, um, one of our recent guests here was the spaceman, the real one, Ace. Yes. Um, and I know, you know, having known you for a number of years now and, and having been a fan of yours as well, uh, your one thing you have in common is Kiss. Because we're both Kiss was a big part yes. of. Of your life. We wouldn't be here without them. We can clearly say that. They, we learned so much from that band. I mean, you know, the bands like Kiss always spoke about the Beatles, about how they changed their life. One night on Ed Sullivan. And um, the Beatles came out in 64. I was born in 64. I completely missed the Beatles. Um, and 
But when I started listening to radio, WLS AM out of Chicago, and when I was listening, when I was on the school bus, me and my brother having to ride the hour school bus, uh, you know, it was Kiss, Sticks, Foreigner, Chicago, you know, these kind of bands that were coming out. And I mean, Kiss just, I mean, they, 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 they're the common language oh, no doubt. between pretty much all of us knuckleheads our age. A lot of us our age, that's all yeah. we relate to. We, that's, it keeps coming back to Kiss. And it's all with complete respect. And of course. It's a big thank you. I mean, even on this record with the Altitudes and Attitude record, there's, there's, there's Kiss in there because we're both saturated with yeah. Kiss. I mean, this is a cheap trick, all that good stuff, man. Um, Kiss, another band, that's just one of those great bands that, I, I, in my opinion, I know everybody knows Kiss, but for their songs, I think they're underrated for their songs. I agree. They're, they're just, they have great songs. And um, I just wish this generation, I sound like, a, ah, I wish this generation, I, I, wish, I wish this generation could understand how great that band, and go back and listen to those great records. They're just amazed. Still to this day, I listen to them and still hold up. Yeah, and they're one of those bands, uh, you know, never been a big sports guy and I, I finally realized that sports fandom is analogous to a lot of my fandom for a lot of bands kiss being one of them because everybody's got their different era you know there's all these different things you can debate about uh when it was you know so when i hear somebody like oh the chicago bears in 84 or whatever you know it's like oh yeah I, you know i'm partial to vinnie vincent and the Ankh warrior makeup that was <laughs> exactly. kind of a neat little <laughs> moment you know? it's like i get it like, yeah, there's er defining eras you know of people came in during the 80s and the non-makeup years and stuff like that well it's funny because we we're this the last song that we played uh today the last of the set the two songs we played <laughs> I'm tired, yeah. by the way. <laughs> the, on, the encore, right? Hey, which, the by the way, we should give a shout-out. Um, uh, Mickey Black, uh, our guitar player, right? Awesome. She actually played a solo as well as Ace Fraley. So we have Mickey and Ace playing on that. She sang all the backgrounds on the background vocals on that song as well as on another song, Talk to Me. And uh, on drums, we have uh, P Paris Birk, if I'm saying his name Birk. right. Who yeah. we, you would probably know as Bach, uh, the son of the royalty Sebastian Bach. So uh, he was our drummer tonight. So thank you, Paris. And um, Sebastian was actually giving us a hard time for our seven-minute set that we played tonight. You know, we're like, dude, that's it. it. That's all you're gonna do? <laughs> <laughs> Grueling, grueling seven-minute set. But it's cool that uh, you know it's funny. Uh, Paris is actually a, uh, a a schooled musician. He's got a four-year music degree from uh, Rutgers uh, College in New Jersey. So I was actually in Nashville producing, uh, or working on a record, actually writing and just playing on a record that um, at uh, gonna have some production stuff with a band called Fall of Silence. And Paris was the, the drummer. So it was cool to just, you know, the networking, you know, since we are in a music school, in case there's any students here, you know. Yeah, and we're gonna, uh, in post-production, edit that so it says, Musicians Institute. You said yeah. the other school. Yeah, yeah. but the, you know that's a big thing with musicians. Is it's just this hang, you know that, uh, you know, we're sitting here recording late. I'll never forget the moment you're sitting there, Frank strumming the guitar, and he just stops and he just goes, God, you know what? Wouldn't it be great to get Ace Fraley to play a solo on this song? And Jay, the producer, goes, "I got, I got his number. Let's give him a call." You know, so we, we, we. Because that's how it works. This was two years yeah. in the making. It took us two years to finally get it because Ace was on tour and, and, uh, and we started chatting with him. And I mean, I remember the first time he actually responded to me and Frank on email, like, "Oh my God, Ace!" Fraley. We're like this whole like we're not. Worthy. I still have that email. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. This whole moment. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, as much as you've shared the stage with him, I actually played with him uh, at Alice Cooper's Christmas Pudding. 
Um, you know, so we were contemporaries, you know, because you kind of got to put your professional face on, you know, and not act like you're playing with your hero, but he's our hero, you know? Yeah, he's totally and, our hero. He's, so it's, he, he's another one that just, to get him on our record, that was, that was a big get, yeah. you know? So for me, just growing up, the 15-year-old Frank Bello and, yeah. and freezing in front of Madison Square Garden with the Ace Frehley poster. I don't know if a lot of you guys know that. There was, it used to be an Ace Frehley poster right in front of Madison Square Garden, which was the meeting point. You met in front of the ace poster. You met your friends, but you freeze your... Can I say balls? Yeah, you, yes. Okay. Well, I said balls. You freeze your, ball, you freeze think, your balls you off did. in front of Madison Square Garden at the ace poster to meet your friends. Your friends were always late on the damn train, and you get screwed. I'll freeze my ass. But you look at ace, and you had the smoking guitar. It was cool. All right. That'll keep me going for a while. Okay. I'm okay. I'm pathetic. Yeah, and, you got, and Anthrax did... Uh, Love Her All I Can? I think we did every Kiss song. <laughs> but I think uh, when you did that one, it was a B-side and Sound of White Noise era. We actually did that, and they produced it, Paul That's and Gene. That's what I was going to say. Gene yeah. and Paul were involved somehow, right? And you know, you know what was great about that one? Did I tell you this? Um, we, when we were doing it, it was us in the studio. So we did you know, Love Her All I Can, you know, the singing and stuff. Yeah. So here's, here's a great moment. Uh, we're, we're doing background. I think it's me, Scott, and I don't know if Charlie's saying. It was just me and Scott doing backgrounds for the, the, the chorus. And Paul and Gene are at the, the, the soundboard. Now, think about the kids that we are. <laughs> yeah. we, were, we were like <laughs> <laughs> So, just to calm myself down, I started doing impressions of these guys. Oh, and, man. So, Wait, yeah. To them? In front to of them. them. <laughs> <laughs> to them. So, I wanted to, because I was nervous, to be yeah. honest. I was just nervous to sing in front of Paul you're, Stanley. You're basically every comedian when they meet Seinfeld. Oh, yeah. It's like, <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. the only thing I knew, my defense, and to calm myself down was start talking like, Paul, I don't know what I don't know which one I'm gonna do. What, what note should I do? And Gene would laugh. Oh, Frank Bello, that's very very funny. And he would see he would come back to me and Frank Bello, that's very very. Do you do you do Gene Simmons? Then I'd go, you're a powerful and attractive man, you know. And it would go back and forth. So then I would have an argument with myself. It, it was, but it, it worked out really well. They they had laughs, we had laughs, and everybody got the nerves out. It was great. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the thing, too. Uh, you know, you're saying they're underrated for their songs. I, I often feel that they're also underrated for their sense of humor. Absolutely. And I feel like some of Gene's humor doesn't translate, especially when it's in print, whereas if you see the guy saying the thing, it's like, yeah. oh, okay, there's a, yeah. yeah. They're there's great people, too. Cheek. I mean, this farewell tour and all that stuff, I, I think it's, it's, it's a tip to your hat. I, I like... I, I like that they're playing some old songs and all that great stuff, you know what I mean? But the, these guys meant a lot to rock, man. You gotta remember that. They meant a lot to rock and roll, and uh, a lot of the people that play now and write the songs that you guys like and that we all like, uh, those guys were influencing them. So well, dude, I, your I, album cover is the rock and roll over album that's cover. Right. Anthrax, yeah, that's right, Anthrax, that's right. But we did get Gene's approval, which was great, this before we did it, because yeah. you have to. Good idea. And yeah. I, that's yeah. the only way to go. Yeah. But uh, again, big inspiration, and, and as they should be. Yeah, and, and you mentioned obviously, you know, Kiss doing the final tour. So where in your life and your planning and your scheduling between all of the different things you're involved in, where do you put this, like in terms of, because I know you guys have touring coming up and things like that. Today. This <laughs> <Yeah>. is <laughs> it, today. Enjoy this moment. But, but, well, how, you does, know, but how does that work? Between, funny you thing know, was, we were actually everything. talking about doing it last year, and then the Slayer farewell tour uh, got announced, and then uh, Frank got called out, obviously, for most of that with Anthrax last year. 
So that, uh, but we actually needed the time when we had to shoot a video and get all the artwork done and everything for um, for the record. So it's funny. I literally came from playing with Kiss in Europe, Megadeth and Kiss, uh, straight to New York, and we did yeah. shot the video and did the album cover photos and everything. Um, it and goes back to Kiss. Oh, yeah, exactly. you know, it always goes again, back, yes. man. Back to that Ace Frehley. Uh, Ace is still the meeting point, yeah, right? That's it. Yeah. But, uh, and he's on this record, so we're is. not just like you know wasting time talking yeah. about kids. Yeah, it's like it's, re it's relevant to our. <laughs> totally is. But you know, for this one, so you know what we're doing right now, and we're going to go on the Shiprock cruise. Funny, Frank and I were both asked to be on the Shiprock cruise, unknowing about altitudes and attitude, and that. And Shiprock is very much a, a cruise that would kind of feature features you know active what uh, active rock radio which is a very modern uh, kind of hard rock radio you know hailstorm five figure death punch these kind of things so i feel like we're actually contributing something to the boat because we're not just showing up as a couple of bum bass players you know with, a, <laughs> with our hand out we're actually bringing some new music so it's the timing of some of this stuff is it's it's ironic how it all falls in when it's supposed to and um you know they're writing a new album literally today frank was over there writing a new album we're working on a new album right now as well in nashville so the timing is kind of right now um i took some coffee down to see slash um a couple months ago and um i just asked for that hey, would be the roast and peace blend roast and peace yeah yeah i mean slash is a coffee drinker and uh, we're good friends from when we used to hang out in hollywood back in 89 88 89 when both of you were Doing other substances. Party, yes, coffee. exactly. Yeah. Having fun, yeah. <laughs> he had just come off the Appetite for Destruction tour um, and was just this full funny. He's living in some dingy little apartment out right by Tower Records. And I had an apartment uh, just kind of right Highland, right back here on Cherokee, you know. And, and uh, we're just little rock stars on the rise, you know. And we had just come off of um, playing Castle Donington, So Far So Good So What tour. Um, so, you know, again, a moment in time where we're just hanging out and together. Was Donington, uh, Guns N' Roses, was that also? Uh, they played before us, actually, if you can yeah. believe that. I, yeah, there's a, one of my favorite, you know, the first time I got an email from David Ellison, it was the way they were acting, getting an email from Ace. Uh, <laughs> one of my favorite pictures is there's a photo um, of Dave Mustaine slash Axl Rose and right. Lars yes. together. On the side and, of the stage, yeah. And, uh, and Mustaine is, I think it's back, it's, backstage. Uh, yeah, because yep. uh, at Donington, Mustaine is putting Slash's top hat onto Lars. Yes, and right. it's just like a, it's yeah. such an amazing photo. I've never seen that. And it, and it's you know, and the fact that it's also in that era when people would have thought that the feud and everything, and it's yeah. like, no, look at this. No, it was it was it was very Fun. chill. You know, and, and um, in fact, you know, when I first met Slash, he, uh, we were introduced at the Cat House. Remember when the Cat House was over in Highland? Speaking and of Ricky he, and he, he he was really appreciative of the Peace Cells album, and he was talking about Chris Poland's playing. You know, and Chris was a you know very uh, a jazz fusion guitar player, had a lot of depth to his playing, very much John McLaughlin, uh, Jeff Beck, and you know Slash. It, really called him out as a as a as a guy that he had respect for and I, I thought wow okay this guy's got some depth to his playing you know he's um a student you know of music and that and so yeah we've just been we've been friends for many years and and again over coffee since we're old now everything happens over coffee used to happen over jagermeister and jack daniels now it's coffee you know but uh you know we just they said hey me and frankie have this thing yeah what do you, could could we maybe jump on some shows with you? You know, I mean, and and uh, and and he all he said he goes he goes he goes. Let me ask you, are there vocals on it? You know, <laughs> I think he thought it was like two bass guys like firing Dude, away at each other. Bass jazz, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
and uh, and then you know we got an offer to do some shows with them. So it's it's really it's cool. We're gonna go over in Europe and do a, like a week and a half or so of some dates uh, starting in Paris. And and you know these are they slash sells these things out. He doesn't need us to play with them. And you know, you'll get to hang out with the great Miles Kennedy who we yes. have here on the stage. And it's great. I mean their new album is awesome, and I think it's kind of a good good fit with that. So we're gonna go over and do that, and then then you go to Australia, I think, and carry on with Slayer, and yeah. we're keep working on our album up to the Aussie tour and you know on we go it's good to keep busy uh and this is what we do you know that's the way I look at it so I'm I'm happy to support this and and the great thing about this is when we do have the time we could do shows with this thing so I look forward to it now a lot of people have heard the record you know thankfully and um and liking it and uh, and I, I'm all about going out and, and and working this thing and having fun with it because people are digging the songs thankfully so why not why not go for it, you know? Yeah, and we're gonna open it up here uh, to some questions from y'all in a moment. Um, I wanna ask you, uh, you know, obviously uh, being you know one of the co-founders of Megadeth and the, one of the two really consistent people through the whole run of the band, uh, your partner in crime in that band is a, a large personality. Uh, like people, you know, he's front man, singer, guitar player, lead guitarist, big songwriter and all that. And then obviously in Anthrax, um, you know, Scott Ian, while not being the front man per se, is very out there in the public eye. He's the eye. face. It's the face, yeah. And, uh, and then, of course, between Joey and John Bush. And uh, what I'm getting at here is, uh, for both of you, this is like kind of a band where you're stepping, you know, a couple steps to forward, front, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. And particularly for you, switching over to being the front man here and yeah. singing. Um, what are some of the biggest challenges there? And what are some things maybe you feel that you learned from the other position that you've played in a band for so long that you can well, apply to this one? What you, and this is what I say about this. What you see here is me in my living room. This is what I've been doing for years. I've come off an, I come off an Anthrax tour, uh, drop the bass because you know it's enough, and I write songs. <laughs> I write songs in my, in my living room and I stand and I play them and then I go downtown in Manhattan and I try them out in open mics. Oh wow. And this, so you're seeing, like, this is my living room kind of. This is exactly what I've been doing for years. So uh, again, a lot of songs, a lot of things inside of me. This is my therapy. Uh, you can read the lyrics and you'll see I'm a really messed up dude in my head. Uh, it's the truth and I'm just trying to find answers honestly and just be real and uh, I think this is really I mean there's a lot of therapy in my life but uh, this is really helping and I'm, I'm enjoying connecting with people to tell you the truth because so many people just since we put the record out already I mean f writing me about how they deal with abandonment and you know the booze and cigarettes is about uh, my, my grandmother's chemo dealing making her laugh while during chemo there's a lot of you know what you would think it, it's just a lot of deep stuff going on and um, I, I I like connecting with people. I just think it, that's what music's for. It's, it's for connecting, and I, I'm, I'm enjoying the ride. Yeah. Um, while we're waiting for people to get in line, uh, you, it's your fault for mentioning it. Um, Anthrax is making a record. It sounds Did like. somebody say that? I'm not supposed to talk about that, but yeah. No, not that it's on the raps or anything, but this is an A&A &A thing, so yeah, sure. we are. I was... I'm kind Jay of Rushton was posting pictures yesterday. Oh, so, so yeah. there you go. It's, yeah. it's fine. So, it's out there. Yeah. so I'm kind of double dutying yeah. it um, right now. I left my house at 5.15 this morning, a.m. New York, nine degrees, by the way. Thank you. Um, wow. Good times. Um, and I got to L.A. 10.30, got to the studio, uh, literally from the LAX to the studio, and I started jamming. Had a Beyond Burger that I'm still burping. 
and then I got here. And that, that's, then this, is, this is exactly, that's the whole day. So yeah, it's been a ride. This is the first day of getting our, our thoughts together. Yeah, uh, yeah. So it's good times. Yeah, and then uh, you, know, you guys are doing more stuff with Slayer, and then you've got Megadeth as the Aussie tour. Right. And, um, and yeah, and again, it's not a, a secret. We'll be on a Dave, cruise. Dave and Dirk have both been talking about uh, getting a record out this year. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Dirk's been down there working on stuff. He was just down there this last week. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because living in, in different cities, how we work together. I mean, it's been a process. It's been, you know, whether we're in the room or working <clears throat> remotely, it's always in, in motion and, and, and working. So, you know, it's funny with albums, too, because we've been talking about it. It's like, man, albums, they take so long to make. They're expensive. You shut down the whole operation for so long. And we're, I think certainly for both of us, <clears throat> you know, we've crossed over this sort of barrier <clears throat> where you used to have to make a new album that would then sort of trigger the, the tour and everything else behind it. And we're, it's nice to be over that. I think Dystopia for us was that album that put mm -hmm. us kind of beyond that where now the phone rings for stuff and then and, and trying to do some other um, really cool fan experiences like the like the boot camp that we did, the cruise that we're doing, the mega cruise. You know that that really is like a real thrash cruise. You know, it's like kind of the only one of its kind. Um, the other ones all have their place, and this one has its place to represent the thrash community. So, you know, doing things that um, it isn't just like put on an album going tour, put on an album going to tour, uh, to really just go out and, and have things be big, have them be special, and have them be something that are like really memor memorable experiences. Yeah, and it seems like there's so much more participation. There's yeah. less of a barrier between yeah. band and audience and more yeah. like you said, the boot camp and the cruise yeah. and all that sort of thing. Uh, so yeah, if you could uh, tell us your name and your question. Yeah, uh, my name is Harry. And my, my question is, hey guys, how's it going? Uh, from a metal bass player's point of view, um, how much of an influence did Cliff Burton have on both of your playing as metal bass players and just as a person, as who he was, like, obviously you guys knew him pretty well. Like, yeah. How, how old are you, by the way? Um, 21. 21. So for me, um, uh, when I met Dave, uh, so he, I, met, I literally met him right here in Sycamore, right? Right down the street, right? And the liquor store at the corner, that's where our bond started over the uh, case of Heineken, right? <laughs> the liquor store is still open. Um, but, um, you guys got any cigarettes? Or <laughs> cigarettes, yeah. <laughs> booze and cigarettes, ironically. Um, but uh, we, uh, you know, when I met him was June of 1983. He had just left Metallica literally not more than eight weeks before that in April. And so I didn't know anything about Metallica, didn't know who Dave was, heard nothing about Cliff Burton, knew nothing about it, coming from the Midwest. So I moved out here, all of a sudden all these fanzines were like, dude, Yngwie's God, Metallica's God, you know, and, and uh, you know, all these, these, and driven mostly from fanzines. And I didn't know anything about Cliff, really. I, and because the only recording Dave had of Metallica was No Life to Leather, and that had another bass player on it named Ron McGovney. So when we did a cover of Mechanics, I played Ron McGovney's bass line. Really, quite honestly, my, my Metallica bass player was Ron, um, believe it or not. And, and, um, and I kind of modeled what we did off of that No Life Till Leather demo. And then I remember the, the day when the Kill 'Em All showed up and we sat, like there was complete silence in the room. And we sat and we listened down to um, uh, the, the album and um, the, the Kill 'Em All album and, and the differences, you know, temples were pulled back. Cliff was playing more like the mechanics, the, you know, which is now called Four Horsemen, the following the bass, you know, that line. 
Um, and so, you know, and obviously the bass solo, anesthesia, and um, and and hearing that, that was really my first experience hearing Cliff. And at that point, we were two months into Megadeth was well on its way and started as a band. So long answer to your short question is I didn't really have an in, influence. That was not where my influence came from. Um, and quite honestly, growing up uh, in rural area of Minnesota, um, you know, bass players in rock and roll were cool. But when I started hearing some jazz bass players, um, Maynard Ferguson, who played with um, uh, Maynard Ferguson, the trumpet player who wrote the theme to Rocky, he had a great bass player out of uh, Minneapolis, Gordon Johnson. I started hearing Stanley Clark. Uh, those guys were more of my influence, along with Steve Harris and Geddy Lee and you know Ian Hill and the, and the metal guys. But for me, I went more into the jazz world. And quite honestly, I don't really like jazz music that much, I'll, I'll admit, because uh, they never repeat the frickin' thing over and over, right? Like the riff, like, yeah. we like the repetition. It's like, dude, get to the chorus and fucking repeat that one more time, would you please? It's a good hook right there. Ah, oh, it's gone, you know? But, uh, but you know, that, those were the things that, that I brought in and I think that made, you know, our, you know, me and Dave, our, our participation together with, with the Megadeth sound, something that was, and even then when Gar Samuelson and Chris Poland, they were jazz fusion musicians. We really had a very different sound, different even from Anthrax, from Metallica, from Slayer, uh, a very different sound. And I think that probably is what sort of set us apart as our own pillar of the big four. Yeah, it's funny for somebody who doesn't like jazz how much you played with Chris Poland and Gar Samuelson and now Alex Skolnick. <laughs> yes. Well, and the yeah. thing of it is, when I play with those guys, you know, I, um, I, you know I, I always tell the story. I was supposed to come to Musicians Institute. It's ironic every time I'm here and we do these that uh, my, the reason I ended up on Sycamore, at 1736 North Sycamore, uh, was because I filled out the application and said, oh, I told my, you know, your parents always want to know you're going to go to school and do something productive with your life. Not, mom, dad, I'm going to go to Hollywood and start Megadeth. Like, that, <laughs> that doesn't work, you know. So I, I, I applied here, and I got accepted. And um, I remember it was across the street, actually, uh, when it, when, and I remember going to the office and getting the paperwork and, um, and, and right at this time meeting Dave and starting to play with Dave. And it was my buddy Greg Hannibal who was like, dude, we gotta, we got to, like, you know, play with Dave, and we got to do this thing. And, and Megadeth formed. And it was kind of like, yeah, that school thing's got to kind of go away, you know. And I remember Dave was, was very encouraging to me, like, you know, like, like, like school. Like, why would you do that? Like, we're doing this, you know, and, which was I mean, the call home to mom and dad. Hey, mom and dad, I'm not going to go to school. Uh, we started this band, you know. And, and, you know the, yeah, yeah. Oh, what's the name of your band? <laughs> yeah, here we go. Uh, Megadeth, uh, you know. I mean, the heaviest name at that time was Black Sabbath. That was about as dark as you could get. And then, you know, Megadeth was like the next level of just pure annihilation and destruction. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, so it's, it's ironic that, you know, I come here now and it's such a killer facility and I hear people jamming and shredding and, and um I always wonder what my life would have been like had I come here, you know, yeah. but I'm, I, I have no regrets. I'm very glad we started Megadeth and that went on. You can still do it, dude. We could still come yeah. here, I guess. I could always enroll and come back. I would hope there'd be some sort of emeritus. <laughs> you probably learn something, yeah. you know. I mean, if colleges were given Bill Cosby, like, honorary doctorates, surely. Yeah. Musicians <laughs> Institute. You know, well, you know the Musicians you. Institute was, it's funny, I do stuff back at Berkeley College and other colleges, you know, will call us in. In fact, there's one in the Midwest that Frank and I both yeah. have both gone to. Um, 
um, and, and again, funny, the jazz guys used to get the calls, probably still do, but now the Thrasher dudes get the calls to come and do these clinics. But it's, you know, it's interesting. This was the first school that had a one-year vocational program. All the rest of them were these like four-year music degree, and it was always classical music. And I'm like, who the hell wants to do that? Like, you know, we're, we're setting out to change the world and, you know, rock and, you know, basically be Kiss is, you know, what we wanted to do when we were kids. And this was the first one that had, I remember the guys from Toto and like cool people came here. And like, you know, on the walls back here, there's pictures of Billy Sheehan and Eddie Van Halen and like guys that I looked up to, they were coming here and teaching and doing seminars. And I was like, wow, that's, that's cool. Right in the heart of, you know, in the heart of uh, of it all. In fact, on our label, on EMP Label Group, we have the band Autograph. And I remember Steve Lynch was one of the shredder guys that I think he maybe used to teach here once in a while. And that would have been like 1983. They had a song, Turn Up the Radio, that was big on MTV right around the time of Quiet Riot, Motley Crue, and all that. So, you know, this place was very much a, considered a cool place where you could come and learn how to play stuff that was on MTV, stuff that would actually make you a rock star you could learn here at the school. And you still can. There's just not still an MTV can. to be on. Yeah. Uh, so you probably had more of a, a relationship with Cliff, with Metallica coming out and basically being, you know, Anthrax was kind of... We, we did a lot of touring with Metallica. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, always, it's always tough. Uh, growing up, my, my influences were, just so you know, we were friends. So I love what he did on bass because it was always innovative. I love what he did with the wah. Uh, he's, I watched his bass solo every night because I thought it was just way out there. I love that he brought it back into... It, it just is incredible. But the one thing that it always it gets me, uh, because on that um, tour that Cliff passed, it's always strange to me, because we used to have this thing, we used to play both of our shows, the catering, you get something to eat before you get on the bus that night. So our thing would always be, uh, after we're done, we're going to our, each buses, and uh, I, we would say, one, one or the other would say, hey, maybe I'll see you later. And, and, uh, and that night, I said to him, hey, maybe I'll see you later. And the last thing I remember Cliff saying as he left the room, turns back, he goes, yeah, maybe I will. And then the rest is history. So um, that's just still, I mean, I, I know how much, uh, of, how much of an influence he's had on people. And he was amazing. I wish, I wish he was around just to see what it would, Metallica would be right now. I would like to hear that. Imagine Cliff with Metallica yeah, right yeah, now, yeah. what he would have did to that. The last time I saw him, I remember Dave and I went to go see Metallica. At, there was a Master Puppets tour. With Ozzy, um, yeah. With Ozzy, yeah, in uh, Rutherford, New Jersey. There, uh, it kind of started our, we had just recorded the P-Cells album for Combat, which is our label at the time, but major labels were starting to swoop around us, in All particular right. Michael Alago, who signed uh, Metallica to Elektra and signed Metal Church. And you had just had lunch across the street from the United Nations. Yes, we had. <laughs> you, you, you know, came <laughs> so you tell the story, but it was you know, and talking to him um, a little bit about writing, you know, about the writing on the Master Puppets record, and he mentioned that he didn't do as much, there wasn't as much on Master Puppets as there was on Ride the Lightning. But uh, yeah, Cliff was wonderful. I mean, you know, we'd go, we debuted Megadeth and up in the Bay Area in San Francisco, and that's where the, our real home was. We lived here, but our real musical home was up there, and. Um, you know, that's, it was, they, they would always come to the shows. Lars would always come down, and, you know, James came once in a while. Cliff would be around quite a bit. So a lot of, you know, just f brotherhood moments around them. He, 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 was, he was definitely one of us, he, but he was innovative. I always say when I think of Cliff, I just said innovative. It, yeah. Innovation, and the guy took the bass and went that way and, and tried everything, and I love that about him, uh, you know. 
But uh, Metallica's doing okay right now. You know? <laughs> yeah, whatever happened to them after yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Rob's a great bass player. Rob's an yeah, incredible right. bass player. But it's great to have all these great players around, you know. Um, God rest his soul. We love you, Cliff. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. It's yeah. a good, great question. Good evening. Hi, my name is Shmuley Myers. And uh, I wanted to ask, I, well, actually, the kind of rare. I'm actually, I'm Jewish. And I know that for, I think Scott Ian is, and you mentioned Kiss, like Gene Simmons. He was he was also in there. A lot of them, and I always like I've loved it's like Peter Bear, like the Orthodox Jewish metalhead. But I've always loved it. But I was always wondering about like the cultural bit. So first of all, there was I wanted to ask. There's a rumor apparently that Scott Ian, the first album I think was partially financed on his bar mitzvah money. Is that true? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I think uh, this is John, a great question. Let's assume it's true. That's an awesome yeah, question. Let's, let's yeah. go with it. Yeah, let's just say yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, I just because John might, we, and I think in louder than hell, John Wiederhorn, he has like this yeah. big thick book, The Royal History of Metal. So he writes yeah. that there. I wasn't sure if I wanted to. Loudwire that uh, does that Wikipedia fact or fiction is yeah. that like fact? Yeah, 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 there's is, a question. Yeah. There you That's go. That's a great a one for, yeah, yeah, for Scott. Yeah. Um, but also, just more generally, I was wondering if there were any moments in either of your bands that that actually. Kind of like Queen had their moments where like it was like Freddie Mercury like they would be sitting there with the girls and Freddie would just be there on the side like those kind of funny moments. If you ever had anything where kind of it just came out about one of the not the kind of where their Judaism like it was just a, like a funny anecdote or something happened because of it that you know of. Well, I remember our agent, Andy Summers, who was Jewish, he said, he goes, I'm so happy that Megadeth finally has a Jew, Marty Friedman. He was very <laughs> happy about that. <laughs> it was a funny thing, right? But, uh, you know, Marty was, uh, you know, came in, obviously, big, big years for us. And it's funny, Dave and I knew of Marty when he played in a band called Hawaii. And uh, I remember talking to Marty. He and I both kind of came from small towns, so we had yeah. kind of the same musical influences and that same culture growing up. And I remember him talking about how he went to the, he lived in Hawaii for a few years and he never went to the beach. Like he never left the house. And I'm like, dude, the beach is like a block away. He never went to the beach. You know, sat at home and played guitar and ate candy. And that's why he was all pale and curly hair, I guess, you know, so. That's cool. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Hi, my name's Justin. And I, I, have a, I have a question for you, David. Specifically, you were mentioning starting out on combat records. What was it like last year when you had the chance to bring that back as sort of an imprint on your label group? Like, how did that feel knowing that that was something that was so important to Megadeth's coming up and then you being instrumental in bringing that back and bringing new bands to put on that label? Well, my partner Tom, who's right here in the front, he gets all the credit for that. In fact, um, starting the label, uh, really the whole thrust of all that is all his, his brains behind all that and I remember I'll never forget I was sitting in the parking lot of office max one night and the phone rings Tom calls me a lot at night he's a night owl creative guy and he goes he goes dude we can we can acquire combat records the logo and everything I said fuck combat records I hate those guys they like <laughs> yeah. screwed us over yeah. and you know they were mean to you like we have this defining moment where we were on the killing is my business tour and we were so broke. I mean, the dates were can't. That's when Andy Summers came in, basically to kind of salvage the tour as best he could. Dates were canceling. We we're out with Exciter, who were label mates of ours, uh, and and uh, they were rich because they were in a motorhome. We were very poor. We were in a car, you know, like traveling around. 
And they didn't uh, have and pea coats or anything. No, fancy no pea coats. You know? No, we're so broke. I mean, these 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 girls. We were in in Kansas City, and these girls literally bought a hibachi to, so that we could barbecue like hamburgers out in the parking lot. That's how broke we were. Parking lot of the Motel Six, and we called Dave, called Steve Sinclair at, at Combat Records, and they they said, "Look, we're broke. We have no money. Like this is just terrible." And they and he told us, he goes, "You guys need to go home and get jobs." So we're like, what? Yeah, I mean, we just, you know, like saw red. So that's our, that's our memory of combat records. <laughs> Those guys, right? So when he calls and says, dude, we can get combat. I'm like, fuck that, though. I don't want combat records. He's like, no, no, no. And he basically said what you said. He gave this other perspective. He goes, man, you have no idea how important that label was to the genre, to the punk and thrash genre, to so many of us you know, the generation that grew up on all those records. And I had to sit back and think about it. I said, well, I, I never did have a combat shirt, and I guess we could make one that would have the logo on it now uh, if we own it. So, you know, we acquired it, and, um, and it has been great. And, it's, and it, you know, there was a couple records released on that, that uh, imprints, uh, what, in the 2000s that were not really thrash records. That was kind of my last memory of it. And I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. You know, they weren't thrashing. They are kind of more new metal or something. And that was really been a big part of, re of really getting that ship back on course, is that it really, we're very, very particular about the bands that go on that, that label, because they really need to be true to the, to the thrash and punk culture that, that made that label, basically the, the label, the house that Megadeth built, I think. We sold a lot of records, and they got some overrides, and probably paid a lot of bills, <laughs> right? Yeah, As that? we all did, right? Because that's what we all did. We all made we made we made records for independent labels, yeah. and thank God these guys put up some money to do it. But the, the goal was is to sign them, raise them up, and then we would all get signed off to major labels, and you know, they would all cash the checks. You know, the, the but budget on that first record was five. It was eight dollars? grand. Eight grand. Eight grand. Yeah. Then the second record, I remember we sat at Cantor's over on Fairfax uh, with Steve Sinclair. Now on better terms, because now he's saying, okay, we're going to raise the budget to $25,000 to make peace cells. We're like, wow, 25, wow, we can actually afford to eat and, you know, pay our bills. And, you know, even then we made that record. And then that's what ultimately got us signed to, to Capitol Records off of that. Awesome. Great question. No. Hey, fellas, how you doing? My name is Pete, Pete Wells. I'm actually a New Yorker myself. Out here doing some stuff on Sycamore, by the way. Awesome. And uh, I don't know if I could tell you what it is because, you know, branding and stuff. Yeah, yeah. But no, we're doing like studio work for SiriusXM, and it's just so funny. I didn't know that Megadeth was over there, and I'm a big fan of both of you, Anthrax, Megadeth. I sort of grew up with you guys. I've met you guys now for I don't know how many years since it all started. Thrash band too. Um, but my thing is, I like what you guys did. I was surprised tonight because I thought it was going to be metal, metal, like thrash that you guys normally do. Yeah. And seeing you singing, getting off bass, and you know, I'm going, that's something I sort of wanted to do. I wanted to get away from thrash for a little bit because my band, we took a hiatus, and I know how it can get crazy out there, you know? And you're just like, I need a break away from all this stuff. So how did you guys come together as far as, you have some guys that are strong songwriters, mm -hmm. lyrics and all that, and then you have the other person that's stronger with the music. So which one was more, I'm writing more of the lyrics, you're writing more of the music, and then you put it together? Like, or did you guys just sit in that living room and be like, screw it, man, let's just jam out and see what comes out? Well, honestly, Frank brought in, we'd, we'd, usually when we would get together, we'd have, it was usually three song sessions. And Frank would usually bring in two of his songs. I'd bring in one of mine. 
And then sometimes there'd be this fourth kind of straggler that was like music, <laughs> a handful of lyrics, but yeah. kind of like, so he would bring in his songs, I'd bring in my songs, and then there'd always be one or two we would collaborate on. Nice. Um, and that just seemed to be the system of how it worked. And, um, and you know, when he would bring, when Frank would bring his songs in, I, I just immediately grabbed the bass and started playing. Um, is it Graham Maybe? Is that his name from uh, the bass player from Joe, uh, Joe, Jackson. Joe Jackson? I think that's his name. Ironically, he uh, has an album, I think, out right now at the same time. But that was a bass player that I, I paid attention to. Literally on Saturday morning, there was a TV <laughs> show when I was a kid, and they had like uh, uh, rock and roll bands on there that's, you know, that were current at the yeah. time. And I just remember as a kid, there was kind of in the late 70s into the early 80s, especially late 70s, same time as Kiss and okay. Disco, there was this skinny tie new wave Kind of about the same same time, like the Ramones and the Clash yeah, okay. and all these bands were coming out when Joe Jackson was coming up. And Joe, I mean that that guy, I think is I think Graham is his name. I mean he is the guy that I really modeled my bass playing after on this album. I mean he gets the credit for being the influence to me to on how to play to this kind of music. And just on on that note, um, just watching Dave come up with the bass stuff on this, it freaked me out. Uh, it was. It was really a lot of fun for me to just sit back and watch what he did and yeah. what he came up with because there's some lead bass on this record. <laughs> I, mean, if you I listen, saw him like killing it. Dude, and I, I knew Dave was, we all know Dave's a great bass player and that's not a kiss up, it's truth. But um, I just think he went above, I think he pulled stuff out that I don't think he knew, quite honestly. And uh, I, I was really like, I, there's one that one take on, I keep talking about this song Cold on the record, that he did a lead bass solo on it I just said, don't touch it. I just said, just leave it alone. It was the take. I think we left that take because it was yeah. just the right, it was just so good. Um, so I think he, it, it spurs him to, uh, to, um, to really raise his level, which is awesome. That's cool. And, I, and one more thing is being a fan from back in the 80s and stuff, I started out as a bass player because yeah. I liked, my thing was Motley Crue. And then one day I hear Peace Sells with Who's Buying, and I'm like, and then it led to Anthrax, Metallica, actually, I'll be honest with you, I'm probably the only guy on the planet that liked Megadeth before they liked Metallica. Megadeth <laughs> brought me to Metallica. I hear there's a couple of them out there. I'm a big Anthrax, being New York. I was going to say, it's nice to meet the other Megadeth. one for the first time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nice, so man. I followed you guys, met you guys many times, and I know you guys see a million faces, so it's it's good to see you guys here, and it's like a big influence on me to get back to writing again. Thanks, nice, man. So, That's good, the whole good. idea. Connect yeah. and see and make you go on your own. I love that, man. Yeah, and That's, I can't wait great to hear comment. the album, too, because I haven't really got the chance to hear it, so That's the whole idea. tonight. And, Which we have and the album here. is available here yeah, tonight, some, actually. Yeah, for some yeah very cool. Vinyl. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yep. No awesome. worries. Thank you. Thank you. What's up, fellas? My name is hey, Mike. Hey, Mike. Uh, I had a question. Actually, Frank, you just started to uh, touch on for a second. That's about the recording process, and that uh, whether it's the new record or any of the records from your past. I don't know if you're like me, where your own, you're, you are your own worst critic, and like you're always thinking in the studio that you can do something better, you can top, you can do it better, and maybe you do you know take after take. Do you find? Uh, do you have a, kind of like a maybe a pattern where? You, after like a couple times, maybe you know like that's the take, or maybe you've got a bandmate to say, just like you said, like, no, that's the one, we're keeping that. Uh, and does it tend to flow freely, or is it more of like a painstaking process? With this, this is the most freeing ever. I mean, this in the studio, if you just see him, Dave, myself, and Jay Rustin, it's, it's us three. It's just anything goes. It really is as free as that. It, it just try anything, whatever works, you'll know it because you'll just look at, yes, you know, and mm -hmm. it's very freeing. It's not, it's not even just do it. 
It really is don't think too much. Just do it and get to it. Another take. No, that that last take was better. Just just do just play. Because we you know, we know how to play at this point, right? <laughs> you know, so um I man, it's it's very easy. This is an easy process we have going on here. So that's what I think you hear that on the record. Because it's it's just a, it's a great atmosphere. There's no nonsense. It's very freeing. I think you hear that. Hey, a follow-up question: uh, Did you have to ask Ace Freely to do anything again? <laughs> That's a no, great question. No, no, <laughs> no. That is a good question. Ace, take two. Yeah. No, there yeah. was none of that. No, Ace, he, that was perfect. He gave. Uh, yeah, he sent a, he sent a solo in. Again, he's traveling around the world as much as we work together in a room. Um, some of the guest contributions people did from home studios and things like that, um, which which Ace did, and it was it was awesome. I mean, it was it was great. It was fit right in. Good. Good. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Thank Thanks, you. Guys. Yeah. Yep. Let's get a few more here. Uh, Dave, Frankie. Hi. Nice to meet hey, you. Hey. All right. So this is a two-part question. So I'll make it quick. The first, my first question is, I'm also a bassist. I okay. play in a local band, uh, unsigned. We're not like, you know, entirely known. But what advice can you guys give for a band that, you know, aspires to be like you guys uh, in a time where albums, you know, they basically don't sell anymore, you know? When you guys join your perspective bands, obviously like albums sold like crazy, but you know, what advice or steps would you Tell a band to take to, you know, hey, maybe someday open up for Anthrax or even Megadeth yeah. someday. You know? I, I, I say this. How much do you love it? How much, do, I mean, do you live it? Do you just want to be famous? It's one of those things, right? Do you have to do it? We, we have to do this. I mean, we, we grew up having to do this. It, it, it wasn't a choice. <clears throat> so what I say to you, I want you, to, I want you to succeed. I hope you become in the big, I hope you're the biggest bass player in the world ever. You know, I want that for everybody. I want to pass the torch at this point. But it's got to be here. You know what I mean? It's got to be here because if, if you're playing around, it's got to be all or nothing. Especially now because the music business, let's face it, what is, what is it? So you have to write that song. You have, to, you have to live it. and you have, to, you have to eat nothing, all that stuff. You got to try and tour, try and play anything. But you really have to live it. And uh, look, I want you to succeed. I want the next generation because this has been very good to us. And I, I want to see the younger generation come up and rise and, 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 and be and have that moment and have that moment. I think it's really important right now. Anything, Dave? For well, you can do a lot of really dumb things to get famous, right? <laughs> I mean, anybody can, yeah. you know, do stupid things to be famous. You know, making a living at it is a whole other thing, yeah. you know. And I think when you're really looking at it from that point of view, look, you know when you're on stage if, if what you're doing is working, if it's connecting. You know, I've been in some bands, um, one and a couple that have been, that have had success. One, obviously, ama amazing success, right? But, um, and I've been in some other ones that just seemed like it would, like, God, it we're so good. But it didn't connect. It just didn't connect. And we, and we just had to call it quits, you know, and just, and just realize it didn't work. So one of the things is, is be, you know, be honest with yourself. You know, is, is, is this connecting? Are we building an audience? Are we getting a following? Because that's ultimately what, any, uh, what a record label looks at is can we sell this? 
You know, the record companies are in the business of selling your music. That's that's the only thing that they do. Mm. And granted, record business is very different now. But even if you're doing it on Facebook or you're doing it through your own YouTube channel, you can. the numbers don't lie, you know. So when you get into the business side of it, the numbers matter. You know, they really do. And you have to just be honest with yourself about that. And, you know, uh, in our band, we were very lucky. We have, as Ryan said, a very big, larger-than-life, charismatic frontman who had a history in Metallica, I mean, that was the stepping stone. We got to start on rung two of the ladder rather than rung one because of that history, you know, and that really helped, you know, build our band. And every band has got something about them. Anyone that's been successful has something that was their hook. It was their way in. It was the thing that really got them going. So that's kind of the thing you really have to pay attention to. Um, it's, you know, a lot of this local band thing of like, oh, dude, I can play better than them and I shred better than them. I got news for you. If you're in the room, we already know you can play. We don't care. <laughs> we really don't. And musicians get too caught up. They live in their 21 or 24 frets of their fingerboard and they're not paying attention to what's going on out here. Mm-hmm. And that's where the real, you're really in the entertainment business, mm-hmm. right? Be entertaining. Whether you're wearing a mask like Slipknot or Ghost or you're wearing Nike tennis shoes like a couple of Thrasher dudes here, you know, whatever it is, you know, it has to be entertaining because people pay to be entertained. They don't pay to, to be bored. Got it. Right? Got it. Got it. Amen. Uh, final question. My, uh, so my all-time, all-time favorite band is Iron Maiden. Okay. I know your guys' bands have opened from numerous times. Yep. How do you guys feel when they take you out on the road and uh, – you know, what's what's it just like hanging out with the Maiden dudes, with Bruce, Steve, and, you know? Done, I've done a lot of touring with Maiden over the years. But I have to say, you know, out of all the touring we've done with Iron Maiden, this past tour we did in South America, where we, we flew on the plane with them, yeah. um, that was the highlight of any Maiden tour for me. Because we've had great times in, I mean, God, the 90s we toured and got drunk a lot and went out to clubs and stuff and you know friends and, you know you're friends with the maiden guys they're just great but this last time around uh i remember we ended the south america tour and this is this is something you wouldn't think would happen in in your life if you were frank bellow they were they were flying home from south america to new york jfk right so oh look at that i live in new york right <laughs> How does that work? Well, Frank, would you like to go on the Iron Maiden plane home? I got asked that. Who's flying? Bruce. Yeah. So you think, right? So, um, yeah, I get on the plane. You know, I'm psyched, right? I'm psyched. I'm getting, you know, it's because it's business class. I'm, dude, they, they treat me like royalty. I'm, I'm Frank Bell. I don't give a shit, right? So I'm on the plane. I'm, I'm having my third cocktail, right, with my nuts. I'm like this, just hanging out in my big seat on the Maiden plane. Um, and then I get this tap on from one of the, the flight attendants. Bruce wants to see you up. Well, Bruce is flying the plane. Bruce wants to fly. Bruce wants to see you in the in the cockpit. I almost made believe so, like, because I'm afraid of all that. I don't want to do. I don't want to see Bruce fly. I don't want to do that. I'm afraid. I, I mean, I know he could fly. That's great. I don't want to be there watching this, right? Because I'm freaked out with all this stuff. You don't want him to turn around talking to you. No, 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 no. So I don't want anything because I, I I kind of ignored her. Yeah. Sir, Bruce wants you upstairs. For what? You know, so he just wants you to come upstairs and sit behind him while he's flying. Why? You know. So long story short, I go up there. You know, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of nervous. I'm, I'm like, I don't want to. I've never been in a cockpit. I don't want to be in a. I don't want to see 
air. I don't want to see that coming at me. I don't want, to, I don't want that. So I go, you know, main, the main guys, they had the upstairs. So I was saying, hey, Steve, Adrian, you know. So I walk by them, right? And they're like, where's he going, right? So I open the door, and I see Bruce. <laughs> so the, the flight attendant opens the door. I see Bruce. And there's the big window that I'm afraid of. The big window with the clouds. I'm like, oh! You know, I'm like, oh, man. I was really nervous. And I see Bruce with a bunch of papers in his hand. Like, like imagine an, an office just like throwing papers. He's looking for a flight route into New York that they can't find. And he goes, figures, you come tonight. The worst night of the tour, you're coming tonight. I'm like, oh. I was so nervous because him and the other guy, the other pilot, were, were literally looking for a flight pattern. And they were dishuffled. Not that they were out of control or anything, but they, would, they weren't looking. You know? <laughs> That was their my, eyes on the road. Yeah, my, when I'm driving, man, I'm looking that way, right? These guys were looking at papers. I'm like, what? And I was, I was kind of bugged out. So he goes, Bruce goes, go sit behind me. So I'm sitting. So I'm sitting like this. And this is Bruce Dickinson flying. I don't know what to do. <laughs> what am I doing? I'm, I'm nervous because Bruce says, yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah. So, so, and he's telling me all these things that I had no idea. It was a different language. Well, this does. But it could have been any language. But these, these knobs and all this thing, he's touching it. He look, he's very good at what he does. But I, the point is, I was scared, but I couldn't handle it after a while. I said, all right, Bruce. It was five minutes. All right, Bruce, listen, have a good flight, okay? Thanks for having me. So I went back downstairs, had another drink. And, it, and then we landed in New York. And, it was, and then I got the maiden treatment. I live in New York all my life. All my life, I've, I've had to go through customs. I've had to they check me, pull down my pants, all that stuff. It's ridiculous, right? I go through with Iron Maiden, right? Frank Bellow with Iron Maiden. Hey, how you doing? Go ahead. Done. Just straight. They just let me through. They didn't even check my passport. It was ridiculous, but that's when you're Iron Maiden. It was, it was a great time. That was my favorite time with Iron Maiden ever, by the way. So there you go. One of the, uh, you know. One of, the be one of the best gigs I ever went to, Anthrax, Megadeth, Iron Maiden, Battle of San Bernardino in 2013. Oh, yeah, that was a good yeah. one. Yeah. One of the that best gigs one. ever. Yeah, that was ever. fun. Thanks, yeah. You know, that That's tour was fun. the first time that I ever really got to know Steve Harris. Um, he was very, you know, he's always very kind, and you'd see him in the hallway, but he always was very determined, very busy. He pretty much runs Iron Maiden. Um, I remember in, in 1988, we, on So Far So Good So What, we did the Seventh Son of a Seventh Son tour. And we did seven shows on the Seventh Son of a Seventh Son <laughs> tour. And remember, they had the seven-course meal in catering. I mean, they really <laughs> themed this well. And uh, I, they, they all had young families, and they didn't really want us around. They kind of kept us on the other side of the arena. We were... You know, little little hot at that time. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna say about that era. Right? About that era, yeah. Really we weren't the guys you wanted hanging around with the kids, you know. So, uh, so they kept us away. But but you know, I just never really got much of a much of a chance to to hang with them. And on that tour, we we did. Um, they did uh, a hand um, in, in uh, I guess what was it 2013. Again, I think they did seven shows across the United States, and that was uh, and that was the final yes, one. Yes, yes. And it was just really fun to just, I mean, he was on a health kick, and we'd actually just talked about, like, you know, old guys being in health kick and heavy metal bands. Like, how does your neck hurt? And my back hurts, too. And, you know, and stuff like that, you know, gear talk. And, but it was just, it was, it was cool. And, I, it, you know, it was awesome because Frank actually sent uh, some Altitudes and Attitude music over to Steve. And uh, I think he found it favorable. He liked he it. He loved yeah. it. He wanted to bring us out to South America with him, which British was awesome. Lion, yeah. With, with yeah. British Lion. He says, maybe we could do some dates together because uh -huh. he really liked it. I think I sent him three songs late. Yeah. 
and the first three songs and he really liked it I was, I was impressed he goes yeah um, I said I would love to do a dates with you. That'd be a cool tour. Us British Lion yeah. is kind of his altitudes now. I was going to say it's his like moment to do. Yeah. It's kind of like Slash and Miles Kennedy is his moment away yeah. from GNR. <laughs> British Lion is yeah. Steve's moment. You know, so I think there. You know, it's funny. There, there's a, there's a bit of a connection. I think when guys, you know, in our, you know, we're, we've been lucky to have these big <laughs> bands and we're doing these other musical endeavors. There's kind of a, you know, we we understand it. We get it. It's like, hey, I know what it's like to, you know, to be the mighty headliner and then go down to being like the opening band. <laughs> but we do it out of the labor of love and the passion right, for it. You know, right, it right. isn't about coming out and already, you know, you know, when sometimes we come out on stage and the job's already done before we even play the first note, the fans are there to see our shows. And when we do these kind of things, there's a different kind of like, there's a hunger in it. Like, right, hey, wow, right. we got to like win people over. We got to like prove ourselves again. And that's, I think that's a healthy thing to have as an artist, you know, to not get too comfortable um, in that and to be able to, I think it's easier when you know you also have that <laughs> yeah. you know like no yeah. one here's good we're not going solo you know uh, <laughs> but it's it, it is there is a, there, it's cool to be able to have those moments I mean it is it's a privilege to, to get back in the trenches and be hungry for it again yeah thank you guys so much thank you, thank you uh, so we have a couple more questions Two Megadish shirts in a yeah. row there yeah yeah hi I'm Natalie I was wondering if you guys were planning any big four tours or any last shows for the big, big four, four shows yeah you know I, I they're not that we have heard of I mean you know that's quite honestly the ones that happened were very sudden where we got you know the email shows up you're like holy cow wow look at this email you know we like those um, <laughs> but you know look it, it's you know I think with Slayer retiring um, it sort of puts a mortality on on you know our bands obviously no one gets out of this thing called life alive <laughs> you know so uh there is a there is a uh, a thing about that but look that's clearly metallica's you know choice and decision if they want to do that but i think we would all show up because sure. it was yeah. such a special um thing that we had at going around all around europe that was incredible yeah that was in two shows here <laughs> Yankee Stadium is a New Yorker. I was, I was happy and, for and you guys. I, that, that, I gotta say, the Yankee Stadium. We had a lot of fun. And you guys shows. got the key to the city, or was it? Uh, we had an Anthrax day then in the yeah. Bronx. They actually made an Anthrax day. It was nice. And I'm from the Bronx, so it meant, it meant a lot to me. I, it, doing, doing that whole thing, Yankee Stadium. I, I tip my hat to Metallica because look, they don't need anybody. They really don't. But it's a nice thing that they did to, for the fans. I think you know to get everybody, all these four bands together. And, and the right way. I think they treated yeah. us great. I thought it was a great thing to do. Uh, it was done right. And they do everything top-notch, yeah. Metallica. That's why they're the best. And you know, not to, Class act. Not awesome. that I don't want to see it again, but there was also, in my mind, something really special about that particular moment in time. Because you'd had David had just come back into Megadeth not that long before. Yeah. Right. It's Slayer original lineup. Jeff was yeah. st still there. Uh, again, it would be awesome to see now, too. Yeah. But, Joey um, had just come back Joey in Joey had just come back. Yeah. Right. yeah. Um, you guys saw Rob Cacciano, who had been in the band for a long time yep. at that point, too. I don't know. It just, there was something about that moment where it was a really great. Right. It's like right. if it had been a little bit earlier, it wouldn't have been as cool as it was right, right. in that yeah. moment. Yeah. So, but yeah, of course, everyone wants to see it again. Yeah. Good question. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, guys. I'm Chaz. Hi, Chaz. Uh, I don't have a question. Just a little bit of praise. Uh, thanks a lot for all the years of solid awesomeness. Oh, and uh, a couple years ago when you put out the EP, I was so psyched. You guys were doing this. I draw the line back to your song, Pieces, on wow. Volume 8. Oh my God. That song wow. still gives me the chills. 
Dude, thank it, you so much. It's a light, man. So I, that, that I means a lot to me. Everything. Sincerely, just so you guys know what he's talking about, there's um, it's a song I wrote. Uh, it's on an Anthrax record, but it's a hidden track. Uh, it's called Pieces. I wrote for my, my brother when he passed away. Again, this is cathartic. That's the way I. It was my therapy, and that's that's like in the beginning of it all. But I, I really appreciate you saying that because I. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a hidden track, and Anthrax was was my my bandmates. They were, they were great enough to let me get that out and put it on a, a B side. I mean, a hidden track on on a record, and it meant a lot to me. Um, it meant a lot to my family. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. Thank you guys. That's awesome. That's an awesome spot to to wrap up too. Thanks so much, everybody. Yeah. Thank cool. you all David for coming tonight. That, that was awesome. Thank you all for coming tonight. Awesome. It was a blast. Get It Out, the debut album from Altitudes and Attitude, is out now via Megaforce. Keep track of the band at altitudesandattitude.com and all of their associated social media handles. You can keep up with the podcast at speakanddestroy.com and, of course, find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Please, the best thing you can do for this podcast right now is to go into Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star rating and a nice little review. You can find me on Twitter at Ryan Downey and on Instagram at SuperheroHQ. Speak and Destroy is part of the Pop Curse Podcast Network. Check out past episodes with great guests like M. Shadows of Avenged Sevenfold, Lizzie Hale of Hailstorm, Jamie Josta of Hatebreed, Gary Holt of Exodus and Slayer, Rob Halford, and many, many more. As always, you guys have been great, and I've been Ryan J. Downey.